So Romans chapter 5. We've uh, been in chapter 5 now for a couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to be picking up in verse 12. And as we do that, I just want to encourage you not to forget the things that Paul has already said through the whole book, and in particular, uh, this chapter where he's really emphasized the the idea that through faith in Jesus Christ, we come to peace with God, and it's the only place that we can find that peace. Probably the most important verse that we read last week as far as the application today of what we're going to read is verse 8 in chapter 5. That God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So don't forget that as we begin to read through the rest or the the, the next verses, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. That on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigns through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Whereas through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And the law came and that the transgression might increase, that where sin increased grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I really don't expect to get through all of that, but uh, we're going to attempt it. Therefore, now when you see the word therefore, what does it tell you? It tells you what's being said now is based upon what has already been said. It's the thing that connects what, we're gonna, what we've read about this morning and we're going to study this morning with what has gone on before that. Because these things that have been said are true, therefore this is also true. In other words, there's a sense in which Paul is deriving greater knowledge and understanding of things from what he said already. He's building upon the arguments he's already made. Now, what we're looking at here, you might call the tale of two men. There are two key figures here, obviously, in 
uh, the rest of this chapter. Therefore, just as through one man, now we understand that that one man is Adam. I hope you believe that there, there was historical Adam, that there was in the beginning, there was one man that God created. His name was Adam, which means uh, Adamah in Hebrew means is of the earth. There's this connection made between man and the earth. It was our home originally with Adam. It continues to be our home now. And even in the new heavens and the earth, the new earth will be our eternal home with Christ Jesus. This has been a stumbling point for lots of people. And the argument very often given, and we talked about this, it's very important for us to be prepared to share with other people that we witness to and have answers to questions that they might have. One of the questions that you might hear people say to you sometimes when you start explaining how sin entered into the world and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, one of the things that they will argue is, how can God hold me accountable for something Adam did? How is that possible? But we know this. We know that Adam was created by God from the dust of the earth, right? And God breathed spirit into Adam, and he became a living soul. As far as sin goes, there's some things we can say about Adam. Number one, we can say that we know he was able to not sin. How do we know that? Because obviously for a time, he went without sinning. We don't know how long that was. It could have been just a few weeks or it could have been years. It could have been 10,000 years. Who knows? But there was a period of time that Adam went before he committed any sin. Therefore, we know that God enabled him not to sin. He had the ability not to. There's something else we can say about Adam, and that is this, is that we know that he had the ability to sin. How do we know that? Because he did. So both of those abilities were in Adam, our first father. But we do know that he did sin. And we know that Eve was in the picture by that time too, and she was right in the middle of it and, and all of that. But very often... Uh, Adam's referred to as the federal head of all mankind, that, that because he was the first man, the first person, that what he did had long-lasting ramifications for all of those who descended down after him. There's a sense in which when he sinned, we sinned right along with him, and we fell into sin also. We are born into the condition of being a sinner. You've heard people say that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. In other words, we have a heart for sinning. Now, you may be one of these people who look at yourself and say, well, you know, I know I messed up a few times in my life, but by and large, I really think I do much better than most people around me. You know, it's easy for people to begin to believe that we're better than other people. And I would imagine that for most of us, we've had thoughts like that at least once or twice in our life. Have you ever thought, I would never do that particular thing that so-and-so did? I could never do something like that. 
And I want to challenge you with the idea this morning that if that's where your mindset is, that you need to reevaluate things. That being the sinners that we are, we're capable of doing anything. And one of the nice things about this is even though God allowed Adam to fall into sin, he still restrains sin. In other words, Adam became a sinner, but Adam didn't become as bad a sinner as he possibly could have. Now, I just want to challenge us with the idea this morning that this is one of the benefits that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is this, is that God is actively restraining sin in us, that none of us sins as much as we very easily could. God is at work, and that's some of the evidence that he is, in fact, at work. I don't know how long you believe, but since you become a believer, there really should be a sense in which you're more attuned, not to just the sins of the people around you, but you're more attuned to your own sins. They're more apparent to you now, not less apparent. And there really should be a sense that we always have in mind that but by the grace of God go I. It's true for every one of us. Adam would have lived had he obeyed God completely forever. But he didn't. God had told him in regard to the tree that he ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had told him that on the day that you eat from that tree, that you will surely die. It doesn't mean that he was going to die on that particular day, that, but de- death would enter the picture. Death among people was not present until that point. So when Adam ate, when Eve ate, of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, they brought the curse of death upon themselves. And not just upon themselves, but upon everyone that would descend down from them. That this is a condition that we're all born into. It's not something that we gain after we're born and we live for a little while and we start committing sins. We're born into this condition. Now, let me just say this this morning, because some people, like I said before, they have this argument, how, how could God hold me accountable for what Adam did? Adam did that, so, so why is it that I'm in the confined myself in the condition that I am today because of what he did? I didn't do it, he did it. That sounds a little bit on the unfair side to me. I don't know about you. But again, Adam was the first man. He was the federal head of all mankind. And what the Bible declares very clearly in places like this and many other places that, that we, 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 we're all sinners. And, and, and the proof that's given here that we're all sinners is this. So how many people do you know of have never died in their life? I mean, how many people do you know personally that have always lived? 
We know this. We know that there are certain things that we're going to find in life, and one of those is this. Eventually, it leads in death. Is that sometimes? Is that on occasion? Is that just most of the time? Or is it absolutely every time? It's every time. People live for a while, and then they die. They physically die, right? Well, not Enoch or Elijah. We got a couple examples of people who don't. But do you know them personally? Your personal experience is this. Is every person you've ever known eventually dies. If you don't die before they die, right? There was no death in the world until this took place. Adam and Eve would have had eternal life. Had they just left that one single blasted tree alone? And just think about this. They were in this Garden of Eden. And we can't even imagine how plush and lush and, and, and how great and wonderful it was and all the different kinds of fruits and veggies and this, that, and the other that were there in the garden. And God told them they could eat from all of those things, maybe hundreds of thousands of different things. He, and he just gave them one single tree that he could not, they couldn't mess with. And what did they do? And it comes down to this. What is the root of all of it? And that root of it is all of it. None of us wants to be accountable to God. There's a sense we want to be a God unto ourselves. We don't want that accountability. Now let me just say this to you this morning. Some people say this. Well, you know, I really wish I had the opportunity. You know, God could have given me the chance to do this on my own without bringing this Adam fellow into the picture. But we need to understand something. That is that Adam and Eve knew God in a way that we don't. They knew him up close and personal. In other words, they had experienced God in ways that, that Donna never has yet. Well, eventually, but has not yet. Or Scott Kemper or Mike Evanson. I mean, they had a, a close-knit, up-in-your-face relationship with God. Now, who do you think would stand a more chance of towing the line, them in the situation they were, and you where you are. I would vote for them. And what I'm saying is the condition you and I find ourselves in, if we were there, we would have done it much sooner than they did. With the first breath that we took. In other words, Adam and Eve were not just a, a model for us, they were just not an example but they were better able to deal with this sin stuff than you and I are. And they fell. He says in verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world. You may not realize that the law wasn't given until about 1500 B.C. through Moses. And people had lived for thousands of years before that. If you go with a literal interpretation of Genesis, you're going to find that people had lived for thousands of years before that. Before God gave the law. 
And just remember the audience that Paul is writing to, this, this church in Rome, and there's a good chance because of a lot of things that Paul talks about in here that a good number of those were Jewish converts. People who had grown up in Judaism, who were legalists, who believed it was by keeping the law that you made yourself right with God. It was the means by which you did it. Keeping his law. But one of the things that Paul brings to the attention here is this. is What about, in verse 13, what about before 1500 B.C.? He's already declared that all those people before were sinners too. And see, I think this is one of the issues, and Paul's going to build on this more and more as he goes through the book, and that is the law was given for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is so that you and I would know what sin is. See, sin was here already. And I would even argue this, that there was enough around for people early on to understand that God was what we call natural revelation, which is what Paul argues all the way back in chapter 1. That there's enough evidence in creation around us to bring anybody and everybody to the rightful conclusion that God exists. There's no other possible explanation for the existence of the heavens and the earth and of us. We also know this, that there's a sense in which God has written law on our hearts because because it doesn't even take Jesus to tell us the basic idea that lies behind the laws that have to do with our dealings with other people. Remember, four of those Ten Commandments had to do with our relationship with God. The other six had to do with our relationships with other people. And really, no one should have to tell us this. No, God, God shouldn't have to tell us this. It shouldn't have to be written down in the Bible. Jesus never should have had to say it. And that is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's just as simple as it can be. Don't do something to someone you would not like for them to do to you. And let me tell you, if we all live by that law, just think how wonderful life in the world would be. Don't kill other people because you don't want someone to kill you. Don't steal from other people because it ticks you off when people steal your stuff. It's just plain, obvious. It should, be, it should be just as clear as the nose on our face to every person that has ever lived. So what I'm telling you is this, is law really did exist before it was given through Moses. It wasn't as if the law was not there. It was already there. The only thing God did in Moses was codify it. To make it as plain as he possibly could. Verse 14. The law wasn't in the world in verse 15, but in 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So we know that because death was here, that meant sin was here. All those people, except Elijah and Enoch, died. Adam and Eve died. Abraham died. 
Noah died. Sarah died. And they all lived before God gave his law through Moses. Because he had written in their hearts and their minds what is right and what is good and what's not. And just remember this. One of the reasons Paul is arguing this is because he knows that there's a good number of people in, in, his, in his audience who believe that it's through the Mosaic law that salvation comes. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. A type of him who is to come. And this is why Adam's called the first Adam or the first man, and Jesus is who's being alluded to here, that there was, there was one to come, there was one who was coming. Jesus Christ himself. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, there you go, the one man, the one who's coming, abound to the many. Free gift. See, legalists believe this. There's a sense in which they believe they can, they can buy their way into God's good graces. Not necessarily by money or etc., but by doing particular things. Free gift. We've already talked about grace already extensively because grace is one of those little threads that runs all the way, not only through the book of Romans, but all the way through the New Testament and even all the way through the Old Testament that holds the whole thing together. That is all done by grace. That Jesus came into the world as an act of God's grace, a free gift. And we understand that ultimately that free gift equals salvation in Christ. That we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't get it because we're better than other people. It's strictly by God's grace. And I've shared this with you before, but when I was a brand new Christian, I did a lot of reading. I was... The crazy thing about this is before, that, before I became a believer, I was not much of a reader at all. I'd read a little bit here, there, and yonder, and I had to read a lot when I was in college, but it wasn't stuff I wanted to read and, uh, and that sort of thing. But one of the things that I was different after I became a believer, and one of the differences is this, is I became a voracious reader. My first year being a Christian, I only read all the way through the Bible. I probably read 30 or 40 books on top of that. I was constantly reading. Anytime I had any spare time that I wasn't having to do something else, you would find me very often with a book. If it wasn't the Bible, it was another book. 
There was a particular book that really had an impact upon me. It was called The Gospel According to Jesus, written by John MacArthur, and some of you have heard of that book before. But one of the things I'll always remember about that book is in it, it talks about this free gift, and what John MacArthur said is, salvation is a free gift, but in the end it will cost you everything. It's a free gift from God, but in the end it costs you everything. Now, most of you know what I'm talking about here, and you realize this, that there is a give and take when it comes to salvation. That there really is a giving up of the old ways, the old self, dying to yourself and living to the new. And let me tell you, the old self doesn't die very easily. You might have been, might have been a Christian now for 60, 70 years, but I guarantee you this, that the old man is still there, the old woman is still there, and still fighting against the new man and the new woman. But isn't it a wonderful thing that this whole concept of grace entered into the picture? Because we know this. We know if not by the grace of God, how many people would have been saved? Nobody. Nobody would have come close. I mean, that's the greatest expression of the gift of God that we can see, and that is this. this, Without grace, there is no salvation. It's freely given. What is necessary is freely given by God. Remember the promises that God had made to Abraham? That he, had, he would have that descendant. And we knew it, know it is Isaac, knowing it was Isaac. And that we'd make him into a great nation. In the days of, of Jesus, there were still a lot of people who believed that great nation was the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. We understand, however, that through the New Testament, that uh, things changed. And that is this, is that ultimately, the, the descendants of Abraham that will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore is a reference to the New Testament church. Because by our faith, we are descendants of Abraham. He's the father of faith. Right. So grace is what has brought about this great transformation that we've seen take place through the history of mankind. Certainly there's still a lot of people who are unbelieving, but just think about how the church has grown and grown and grown. And, and we, we have a tendency very often to think about circumstances as they are for us as being kind of the way it is in the rest of the world because there were there's lots of information out there today that would say that there's a sense in which the church today in the United States is digressing and one of the thing aspects of that is we're not reaching the young people young people with the gospel which means the church needs to be very innovative in, in its approach today to doing that because we, we know it's essential. It's absolutely essential for the younger generations to be, be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what propagates the church into the next generations. 
But just think about the multitudes down through the generations have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's ever increasing. And there will be people in this world today that will profess faith in Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. And the Bible tells us that when that happens, the angels in heaven will be rejoicing. And I pray that our voices would be right along with theirs rejoicing in the salvation of people as they come. So what do you think? Did God treat us fairly by allowing Adam to serve in our place? You have to say yes. Uh, you know, God is all wise. God is all knowing. Now let me ask you this. Do you think any person could ever come up with something like this? Ever? I mean, the gospel itself is so amazing, it is so astounding, that no matter how many times we hear it, it should surprise us. Because it is the greatest message that is. It's the greatest message there possibly could be. And we've reaped the benefit of what has been done for us. If Adam can't be our representative, as the Bible declares him to be, you need to understand something. That also means that it's not appropriate for Jesus to represent us either. You follow me? In other words, there's a sense in which Adam was the federal head of all mankind. Jesus, on the other hand, is the federal head of all saved people. And if it's not appropriate for God to consider Adam to be representative of, it's not appropriate at all for God to consider Jesus now to be our representative. Sometimes we wonder why God does things the way he did. And what I would say to you is this, is most of what God does is he does them a way that it has to be done that way. There's no alternative. In other words, the only way, we know this, we know this, the only way that God could lift us out of sin is to provide a righteousness for us that comes from without us, from outside of us, not from in us. For us to be saved, it demands a Savior, a perfectly righteous Savior to do for us what we are absolutely, completely, totally incapable of doing for ourselves. Did God have to do that? No. 
God is gracious and God is good. He did it. For Joanna Springle and Carolyn Ravel and Charlie Barker. For everyone that believes on our Lord Jesus Christ, who knows him as Lord and Savior, he had you in mind on the day that he made Adam. He knew you. He loved you. He desired you. And he did what was absolutely necessary to make you Nothing else would have done it. Nothing else would have accomplished what had to be done. I dare you to come up with an idea that even comes close. When we look at the gospel, there's only one conclusion we can come to, and that is this. Is this is a God thing. It is a God thing. And he's been in it from the very beginning. Hallelujah. I didn't hear anybody say this this morning. Someone may have, but let me tell you, anytime we open up prayers for Thanksgiving, one of the things that should always be in the foremost of our minds is thank you, Lord, for salvation. That is your gift to us. The greatest gift that anyone has ever had. Amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound.